This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Gurgley Rensbeck, what kind of shirt is that you're sporting tonight, buddy? Oh, I am rocking the uh, Wild Sheep Foundation shirt. Ah, oh, Wild Sheep Foundation. Who are these guys? Uh, they are, you know, they're a small-time organization out of the the states that like to uh, conserve sheep and keep them on the mountains. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good organization. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to ignore them. They're, uh, well, how would you put that? There would they be Big Brother or would they be Dad? Yeah, I don't know. If they're, yeah, they're, they're somebody, uh, somebody up there. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so tonight we're talking a little bit about sheep. We're certainly talking conservation, but more on the goat end of things and mountain goats specifically. For the love of goats, with uh, Marvin Kwiatkowski, that guy. Kwiatkowski. Oh, okay, I butchered it. I I butchered it too, man. I I just wanted to make <laughs> you feel good, but uh, yeah, yeah. He's got one of those ski names, so. Yeah. Um, but that- uh, superhuman being, man. Oh, he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Then, then, passionate about mountains, about conservation, about mountain hunting. He just he's passionate about life, and he he touches that on that in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, fantastic work that the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance is doing over there, and he actually, I hate to admit it, and Marvin, I'm sorry, I didn't realize he was his chairman. I, that's a fairly new position for him, and he's fairly new to the board of directors. But you know what? You know, the society's the same. Sometimes there's just a kind of, um, you know, the, there's these anomalies what that happen and all things align. And I ended up president of the Wild Sheep Society BC year two on the board, which was uh, was weird to say the least, or maybe it was my third year. And, um, you know, it was just, um, there was a lot of really capable guys and gals on the board, but just the timing and everything. And it just was, uh, it was just a kind of a weird series of events and ended up there and, um, seem to work okay, and and that's the thing is that if you got somebody that's passionate and driven like Marvin is, um, you can do it. It's not like and you've got because the thing is is the board runs itself in many ways. It just needs some leadership, right? Because you've got super capable people, but just a lot of people they don't have the time or resources or energy to do it at that given time. Any one of them probably could run run the organization on their own, but they just don't have the time to do it at the time. And then you get a guy like Marvin that comes in. The timing's right. And uh, super cool. Uh, we all know what Darren Epps has been doing over there for years, and uh, just a great organization. I'm super. Are you a life member with those guys, buddy? Sorry to put I, you on the spot. I am. I am a life okay, member. Awesome. So you, you don't got. I was going to ask. <laughs> well, I was going to ask in front of Marvin, but then I'm like, if if not, then uh, it's going to cost Greg 500 bucks. I didn't want to do that to you. So no, or 750 think, now. I think it went up. Yeah, I think but, it's so. been about a year. So I'm I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. Okay, we're solid. So. Um, I can't uh, can't call you up on that, but anyway, um, great great chat with Marvin, uh, fantastic org, and uh, you know we didn't even hit on the projects and stuff. Um, we we did one with the alliance uh, about a year ago now, and and there's some really good project updates there and great work that they're doing on the landscape. But Marvin, we had so much to talk about hunting wise because he's such a killer too, right? Yeah, it's what is it, 28 years straight of hunting goats hasn't missed a year. Yeah. It's like there's there's some stories to tell, and I'm sure we can do a hundred episode cut if we wanted to with that guy, and just go year over year. It's just it was great yeah. great talk to, and you you know you never know 
and he's hey, he's saving us a sheep story too so i guess we should dive into that when we're at sheep week uh next year and make him sit down at the booth with us yeah bring some chadwick down with us and get into it um so it's interesting you know we had a discussion with him um about the kaluski goat the new world record and you know, there's lots of energy around the Goat Alliance. People just want to get their hands on that goat and see that goat. Um, so Justin Kluski harvested the first 60-inch goat, um, new world record, and uh, that's been sort of, you know, hitting, you know, everywhere with uh, all kinds of sensation. It was down at Sheep Week. He was out at our show at the Kamloops Convention. Uh, he was out at the um, Big Game Records uh, AGM in Cranbrook. And uh, he's kind of become a bit of a rock star, Justin himself, who's been on the podcast and earlier podcasts. But I'm sure that's helping drive a little bit of uh, energy around goats in the province and, well, worldwide too, right? Oh, yeah. And when you mentioned, you know, Sheep Week and then our show and Kamloops, like there was a buzz around goats. You know, we got these two shows, like Reno's a whole nother level, dedicated to, to sheep. And there was a buzz for goats there. Like you, you go to the the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance booth, and there is a crowd. As soon as Justin's goat was there, there is a crowd. And Kamloops, you walk into the showroom, you look to the right at the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance booth, and there's 30 people around the booth, just everyone's hands on. He's letting people touch the world record. Like, just a great ambassador for goats. And what what did they Marvin say? They signed up 50 new members or something like that at Kamloops several yeah yeah it's just yeah, like a lot incredible well hey buddy can you imagine if the there was a new stone sheep <laughs> a world record stone sheep came out this year like what would that do it'd be, it'd be insane right it'd be just mental like nothing's been close to the chadwick ever right for you, forever so. you'd be a legitimate rock star <laughs> you'd yeah. be flying around on private jets showing off your showing off your sheep <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so on that note i'm just curious do you know what the the Chadwick scored. Do you have any idea? Nope, not okay. off the top you know, of my head. Nope. <laughs> do you know what year year it was harvested? It was I think shot. it was nineteen thirty six. Ah, look at you. So I knew that too, but I don't know what it scored. So, um, okay, send us your note. Uh, send us your um, uh, guesses on. Well, it's not going to be guess. You're going to look it up, but let us know. Uh, send us a message to communications at wildsheepsociety.com and we'll randomly give uh, a hat away to the uh, the correct answers. Um, so send your send your answers in and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a fun one for us. So um, anyway, buddy, I've got two weeks. He's talking about two weeks and he's gonna be going in the mountains. Um, you'll hear on the podcast and I've got about uh, two and a half weeks and I'll be taking off too. So you're not going till September, but I'll be going end of September, but that'll give us some time after you're uh, you get back from your hunt, and we'll we'll sit you down, put you on the other end of the microphone, and we'll grill you about your trip, the do's and don'ts of Kyle Stelter. Lots of don'ts, man. I've got I've got a I've got a healthy list of that. So I'm trying out some new gear on this one. I've got uh, I picked up. Uh, it's called a, the Durston X Mid Pro Two, and uh, it's ultra lightweight. Uh, tent it's kind of like for that um ultra lightweight packing community so i'm going to be trying that bad boy out so i'll report back on see that what that one like looks like and then i just run a, a tarp uh, or sorry um 
a quilt. I don't run the sleeping bag early season, so I'm going to be running that those two things together. So it's going to be kind of fun to, to check out that new system. And to be honest, full disclosure, I haven't even set the thing up yet. I'm going to do that this weekend. So You should probably practice yeah. before you get in the bush. <laughs> yeah, I know, for sure. In fact, I just uh, picked up the poles. I've got uh, the poles came in today, so it's going to be fun. to. I, I bought it because you can use your hiking poles, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like... I'm like Marvin. I, I like to run my poles, right? And I don't want to take my tent down every single day. So I bought the poles and going to run that instead. So, but uh, I'll have something a, to talk about. That's a cool option though. If the, you know, somehow you break a pole, you got your hiking pole can double as your tent pole. So that's. Yeah. True. Yeah. Safety well factor. Said. Yeah. Good Level point. Safety. Yeah. As we hear in Marvin's uh, chat here. So. Definitely. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> you guys are going to enjoy listening to this one. For the love of goats with Marvin Kwiatkowski. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Swarovski Optic. Thank you Sitka Gear and Swarovski Optic for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. How's it going? Good, good. Oh, you got the big, you guys got the big mics going? We we try to look professional because we're not, so. Nah, it's all good, sounds good. How's it going, brother? Good. Yeah, no heat. It's heat. It's 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 warm here. Things are things are heating up, but good and bad, of course. Yeah. Cool. Could could get in the way of some things this summer. We'll see what happens, right? With the the fires and the heat. So. Yeah. What do you got planned for hunts? Uh, the first one I'm leaving two weeks, right? So two weeks tomorrow it'll be. So that'll be a stone sheep hunt for fifteen days, fifteen in the mountain. So that'll be good. And then really it won't be till goat later in November. Uh, And then I'll do deer around here. Um, I'm ready to go back to Alberta, but I didn't really plan that this year. So I'm ready for another draw. I think I'm four on the priority list. So yeah, we'll see. That'll be mule, mule deer. I don't think i'm putting in for elk anymore i was and then i did pronghorn a couple years ago so that'll take a long time if i ever get it again Hmm. took 12 years the first time so that was pretty cool though are are you going deese lakeway for stones yeah big big fires erupted there the past 48 hours i just looked because my son's guiding in spat cz this year for the first time so i just showed him there's a pretty big fire in there yeah well the one by was it jade Jade Mountain just was zero to 34,000 hectares in 48 hours. It's crazy. I didn't see the one in Spatsizi the other day. I got it on the, on the app and then I looked yesterday and I sent it to my kid and said, look at things are, things are going to get interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't cause issues, but it, it has before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Never fails. Yeah, you just just got to roll with it and see what happens. So, Marvin, uh, tell us about who the heck you are when it comes to the conservation world. Um, you uh, you've taken the world by force here, and uh, you know you've done a ton of great stuff for wild sheep. But uh, I see you're wearing a RMGA Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance uh, a goat shirt tonight. So I think there's a little bit of story there. Yeah, so I thought I'd mix it up, put the sheep hat on and the goat shirt on so I could be a little bit more balanced, right? So we'll probably cover both bases. So uh, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been involved uh, with the Sheep Society for a few years now. Um, just for interest sake, I came down 2011 to the first uh, the first sheep show here in Kamloops. And I moved here the next year. I liked it so much. So, uh, <laughs> but it was great. I mean, honestly, it was like phenomenal. And I just, just loved it. Uh, then I was a member every year. And then I became a life member. And uh, we'll see where that goes. I've been enjoying it. And I've been helping out as well uh, with some of the events more recently. Uh, and then let's swip, uh, switch over to goats. I've uh, been a bit of a goat fiend most of my life. Uh, didn't hunt them all my life, but I have for 28 straight years. So it's, that's a good a, a good run on the goats. Um, but I have a passion for the conservation component. Uh, just kind of observing. And as you get a little bit older, you kind of see things in life and how things are changing. And where there's not goats, where there used to be goats. And kind of the impact um, on not just resource extraction, but just uh, if they're overhunted, uh, you know, obviously the the weather and things like that are starting to affect our, our animals in a bigger way. So that kind of has really jumped out. And then I got involved fairly recent. Actually, I'm not uh, a longtime member of the Goat Alliance, but it's been a few years. And then I got on the board a year and a half ago and uh, somehow I became chair now. So that's kind of how things just evolve fairly quick. If you throw, if you put your hand up, you never know where it'll take you. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty awesome actually to see that, and 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 I love I love that when it can happen with an organization. Um, and it's not so much about the the mentorship; it's just about finding the right person, the good fit. And um, it's really cool to see that you're you're in that role. And and man, I'll tell you, you're bored. Um, obviously, you know we've had Darren Epp on the show before, and you know. Can't say enough about what that man does for conservation, size large across the landscape, and uh, and you got a really really exciting team that you guys have uh, compiled there with uh, with the alliance. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm super stoked. Uh, you know, kind of even in the short time I've been involved, just to kind of see some of the changes. Um, and kind of just how we've expanded. And to be honest, what kind of got me really keen uh, two years ago was there really wasn't a lot of representation in British Columbia. Uh, Darren's in Alberta, but he was really our only Canadian uh, member on the board at the time. So I thought, man, we need, we need a little bit more force here in BC. Uh, we're kind of the goat Mecca um, and I have a passion for goats. So it was kind of a, a, a no brainer almost to get involved. And to tell you the truth, we had our first uh, booth at the sheep show here in March. And it was probably our best booth uh, as far as we go to Reno as well and other shows. Uh, but the interest in British Columbia on goats is phenomenal. Um, it was just nonstop. People coming to the booth. Uh, wanting to, to to join up or talking about projects, uh, what we could do in their region. So it was pretty exciting. People are pretty fired up. And uh, yeah, it's good to see. Like you guys, how many did you sign up? Wasn't like 50 something people we, or something? We had we had a good number. We had, yeah, I don't know the exact number, but it was, it was significantly more than we would sign up in Reno, which uh, was just phenomenal to, to see. Well, we, I guess the price is going up this year, right? The price... <laughs> We dropped the price in BC just as a special to, to we kind of made the, the, do, the dollar on par with the US. So we, uh, we uh. tracked it a bit more that way, but I don't know, maybe it was because we had that big world record goat sitting at the table, but that, that, that was just another phenomenal thing for this year to have, uh, you know, such a, 
a fine specimen taken in British Columbia by a resident, and we were able to have that. Uh, we saw that in Reno for the first time, uh, Justin Kolowski's goat, and then we had it at our booth here in uh, British Columbia. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty hard not to get inspired when you see something like that. That thing's almost a freak of nature. It's just so uh, extraordinary how big it is, and just uh, it looks like something from Africa, not something from yeah. uh, the Northern Rockies. I mean, I've been hunting goats for years. We always joked about a sixty-inch. Like we always said, "Oh, we're going to go out and you know get a sixty-inch goat," and kind of was always a bit of a just a dream, you know, you'd, you'd think about it, but never thought it would ever happen. And sure enough, it happens in uh, British Columbia and a resident gets it and shows there's still some fine animals out there. And uh, especially in the goat world, there's so much untouched land. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, uh, uh, yeah, so you guys are doing fantastic work. It's, uh, it's inspiring to see what's going on. Um, you know, you look at the Alliance and, you know, you go back to the Peter Munich days, like, decades ago and you know pete worked so hard and you know was slowly trying to grow the organ and it seems like it's really caught traction these past two years where are you guys sitting at membership wise now like you're um i think is darren Epp number one on the life member list yeah i think he's one or two maybe peter was number one and darren was two but maybe darren got number one um pretty close remember, he, yeah. he was right there at the outset uh so yeah third we're i think we're like 1100 and a third roughly are life members which is a pretty good uh ratio to have uh you know 300 or so life members uh you know kind of committed to, to to the to the efforts and yeah i think i i there's so much more potential too to 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 get more people involved and we're seeing that we're seeing a lot of people who not don't even hunt not even interested in the hunting realm but want to do the citizen science which is a huge component of what we do uh, just getting you know the average person who likes to likes goats and wants to be out in nature and and help out with an organization and that's pretty exciting to see so why goats what's with and i i'm i'm a sucker too man i'm a life member i love what you guys do i love the and i've hunted goats for years i've never shot one um just for the record um and uh, not for lack of opportunity just i i don't know maybe i'm afraid to pull the trigger i'm not sure but um <laughs> but what what's with goats what like I, I think i asked darren this last time he was on the show but what what's with goats what why are they so bloody special yeah, I mean, if if you go back to me, it was always sheep and goats since I was probably five years old. I got the book beside me here, uh, Jack O'Connor, Big Game Animals in North America. And there's something that intrigued me about, you know, mountain ungulates and those two animals, goats and sheep. Um, and it kind of just, ever since I was young, I've had some, you know, you see stories. We knew uh, individuals that... Uh, they did fly in sheep hunts and goat hunts up north. Uh, my dad didn't hunt, so I kind of didn't get an early start that way. Uh, my uncle's a taxidermist. My other uncle was a hunter. They didn't really hunt for, for goats, but I saw, you know, my uncle mount a lot of goats. Uh, the key for me is, and then when I moved to northern, uh, well, I grew up in northern BC, but I moved more coastal on the terrace area. I mean, that's that's in your backyard. So that's a an abundance of goats, kind of the world... Uh, you know, is looking at population densities, it's probably the most dense population. So the to me, it's really the country they live in. It's unbelievably gnarly. Um, and then goats are just tough, tough critters to survive that terrain, the weather. And I mean, who doesn't like a, a winter cape on a goat? I mean, the, the it, it's just so impressive. And just to see what they go through and they live, live for. Um, and then, you know, unless you're close to a park, 
you don't really see a lot of goats. I mean, there's something that most people probably grow up and don't really see unless they're going through Banff or Jasper. So they're kind of an elusive critter. Um, that's probably what also attracted me. I love the high country. I have loved to hike since I was young. So, I mean, you find them on the top of the mountains in the winter. And I mean, it's such beautiful vistas and, and to get up close to a goat. Uh, yeah, they're just so majestic. So have you hunted them every year for 28 years? I pretty much have. And I can't count the number of hunts. Cause I mean, when I, when you live close to goats, you do day hunts. Um, I had partners that I had flexibility. I could just like, Hey, it looks like good weather tomorrow. Phone up a buddy, you good to go. And then we just go. So, I mean, to put in 20 days, you know, at random throughout the year is pretty, pretty easy. When you're younger, you don't have kids, you've got lots of flexibility with your work. Um, so, I mean, that just fed the passion every weekend. If I couldn't get off during the week, I'd do eight weekends straight of goat hunting. So, it's it just became a lifestyle of, it's not what you're doing. It's, okay, when are you going next? Who are you going to go with? Who are you taking? <laughs> so, it just became something that I was just kind of known to do and love to love to get out and take people out. So, what's better, the, the pudding or taking? Uh, is the conservation thing more uh, your... Your thing now is it because uh, they talk about the evolution too as of the hunter, right? The, the the multiple stages, and I, I'm not going to do it justice. I won't even try. But do you has it changed for you? It definitely has changed. Um, I was hoping you would ask that question. So it has evolved um, immensely. Like I may, it, I wouldn't need to shoot another goat, and I'm and I don't shoot very many goats anymore. Uh, I take individuals out uh, to shoot goats, but we're really targeting old mature um, animals and really what I'm also I'm always big and have been big on the adventure component of just going out there and enjoying nature um, hiking far getting away from you know civilization as much as I can so really it's it's an all in, encompassing type of a uh, uh, a hunt it's not simply for the animal but really i started out goat hunting uh as a meat hunt you know that's my first animal was a year and a half year old billy um the next year i took actually a nanny the year after that i took an old mature billy so um i didn't really have that mentorship on kind of knowing the effects on population of shooting a nanny i've hardly taken any but i've taken a couple um because I really wasn't aware of the impact at the time. So you kind of learn as you, as you, uh, you know, as you read up, uh, you get mentorship. I had a boss uh, that was hardcore into hunting. He never took me hunting, but we talked for years about goat hunting uh, when I lived up north. So, you know, he, he always targeted mature billies. So I got to realize pretty early on, yeah, targeting mature billies uh, helps out on the population component. Um, so yeah, now, uh, really out there to take photos, take individuals out. I really love taking uh, fellows out that have never even goat hunted. Um, so that's that's kind of a neat experience. But they have the passion. They have, you know, uh, a desire to be ethical, and they understand the conservation component. Um, so yeah, it's just being with with solid individuals uh, who kind of share a similar passion. So yeah, it's pretty neat to see individuals who have never really goat hunted 
they usually say the same thing all the time. That's the most difficult hunt I've ever been on. Usually that's the the theme, especially coastal. I mean, I've hunted a little bit in the Rockies. Uh, it can be tough too, uh, but that coastal terrain with the thickness of the brush, uh, the wet, how wet it can be, uh, it's it's next level. Awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit about the conservation ethic, uh, Marvin, and and. You know, I, I need a reminder of this too. I get the principle about not shooting nannies and also the principle of mature goats, but maybe for those that are less versed, like why it's so important and how it's sensitive to the population. And I know this is a pretty basic question for you, but I think it's worth just maybe hitting a little bit on that, especially as we're coming into the fall here. Yeah, so I mean, I mean the, the big thing to focus on, and at one point in time, even in British Columbia, the regs were a little bit looser as far as which goats you could shoot. I mean, it wasn't up to recent, even in the Kootenays, it was really any goat, any age. If you looked in the LEH, um, I was always surprised at that because uh, that only changed not that many years ago. So I was always like, well, what's going on here? You could shoot even nannies. They don't seem to mind, but they've changed that. Um, so obviously shooting a nanny is you're taking away that uh, potential, the, well, the reproduction of you know, for, for having uh, yearlings every year, um, hopefully, but goats don't necessarily produce every year too. It's usually every uh, couple years or more. So it's not like they're uh, every year you're getting a new uh, offspring from a nanny. So really taking that nanny out of the population and seeing how that over a five or 10 year period, how many goats uh are now not being entered into the population because you've removed one. Uh, so removing a billy, uh, billy will reproduce, you know, they're not teamed up with one nanny during the rut. Uh, they're servicing, you know, quite a few nannies. So, uh, you know, taking a more mature, really old billy, they're probably not even in the rut so much. If you look at billies that are going to be, uh, you know, 10, 12 years old, they're not as active uh, in the rut, whereas you're, say, you're five to, uh, well, they'll start, try at three, but typically, you know, five to 10-year-olds, uh, they're going to be the most active uh, in the rut. So, yeah, you can have one or two billies servicing quite a few nannies. Uh, and then again, those really old billies are probably out of the, out of the, uh, the reproduction. What, what's a prime age for a billy, would you say? Like as far as the breeding would go, yeah. For yeah, if I, you're going to harvest a billy, oh, what's kind of the the age you should target? You know, for sheep, it's you know we try to eight or older, right? So uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, would prefer. I mean, that's my personal. Those be go for ten or more, but if you can go for twelve or older, but those are hard to find. I mean, if getting a twelve, thirteen year old billy, <laughs> uh, but if you can, yeah, like an old. An old 10, 10 year old or more is what you would typically want. I would say, yeah, your prime breeders are probably five to eight year olds. So, you know, even though that's a fairly much, like, most people are going to be pretty happy with a Billy that's seven or eight years old, but they're still in the, in the prime breeding years too. But again, it's so, it's not so much taking the Billy as taking the nanny out of the population. That will be the, the main concern. Is is nanny harvest? Is it an issue in BC? Is that is there a high nanny harvest rate? There is in certain areas. So, um, yeah, certain areas in the northwest uh, that is becoming a bit of a concern. More in the bow bow only uh, zone. So they're going to be doing some studies there. 
Is is there an, ever any talks of doing what uh, I believe it's Alaska? If you harvest a nanny, you can't hunt there for however many years in that zone. Yeah, that is uh, that is the, the what's happening up in Alaska in certain areas. Uh, that that would be something that would have to, if if things kind of progressed in in, in a and there was more uh, nannies being harvested, which it's not too bad right now, but if it got worse, that would be something they would look at. The key would be education. And that's another thing the Gold Alliance is pretty focused on. It's probably, I'm not a biologist myself. Um, my focus really is educating. Um, so that's kind of one of the big things that I like to do is just educating individuals. Uh, I just did a seminar a month ago for the state of Colorado uh, with all their uh, tag holders because they only get 200 tag holders out of 30,000 applicants. So it's a once in a lifetime. So it's, you know, once in a lifetime, they're probably not going to know the difference between nannies and billies so much. So yeah, they have sort of a mandatory uh, training session that they put uh, their tag holders through. And that's something that I'm pretty keen on is, is helping individuals out, even if they're out in the field, if they're within range, uh, cell range or something, they send me a photo and say, what do you think it is? Um, but yeah, it's, that's a key component, right? Is identifying uh, nannies from billies, which can be tricky with some of the genetics that nannies have, especially in British Columbia. You know, it's funny you mentioned, uh, you know, guys sending you pictures because you're kind of like the, the, the guy, you're the, you're the goat guy. I, I hear it in casual conversations all the time with people looking to go goat hunting or people that have never gone goat hunting and they're, they're discussing like, what's the first step? And you wouldn't believe how many times I hear, get a hold of BC Billy's on Instagram, reach out to Marvin. He'll, he'll let you know, he'll teach you. He'll help you. He'll guide you. He'll or not guide, not guide you. Sorry, wrong, wrong word. But he'll educate you yeah, on I, on what to do. Is is that something you you're passionate I, about? Because I, it, it I, seems I, to be I really am. I am actually. I've have I've kind of been off Instagram for a couple of months, but um, taking a little breather. Just life's busy. So uh, yeah, I I do. I mean, I it's not like I give individuals access on a map, but I want people to kind of know what they're getting into. And I think that's one of the biggest things as well. When I, I did the seminar a month ago in color for Colorado was it, it, the tactics. And my biggest concern would be the safety of being out there. Um, so yeah, I'd like to help with the identification component and kind of what does a big mature Billy look like? What are the characteristics, but that safety component, cause people can get themselves in a lot of trouble. I'm one of them. I got helicoptered off of, off a mountain, uh, 1991 so um in goat i wasn't goat hunting but i was right where goats prime goat terrain um number two goat was taken off of there with a bow actually years later but i kind of live firsthand what can happen in the mountains um so yeah it was a traumatic thing i lost my kneecap i could have died getting paralyzed um because i wasn't thinking um you know young males not always thinking um you know, adrenaline rush, love, kind of love that in the terrain and how dangerous it is. Although I didn't realize when I'm younger, how, what can happen so fast, the weather can turn avalanches. I got caught in an avalanche, uh, rock avalanche in the spring. You know, people just don't realize if they haven't been there, what can all happen? 
uh, grizzly bears. There's a lot of those on the coast. Um, you know, I've had a few uh, run-ins with bears. So there's just a lot of things that can happen with your gear, with your partners that can get you in a whole heap of trouble and could end your life pretty quick if you're, if you're not thinking straight. Now, do you find uh, when you're, say you're out glassing for goats, is glassing the terrain equally as important to you? Like, you know, you, so you don't get yourself in those sticky situations like you mentioned? Yeah, it's the amount of time I spend looking at maps. I mean, I kind of predate the internet. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I have a lot of maps. Uh, now I generally do a lot of like, I mean, when Google Earth came out, it was like Christmas. Uh, it was unbelievable, right? Uh, it's such an important tool. I look at that so much before I ever go into the country. Last year, I went into a new area. I pretty much know my route in advance. There was one tricky spot that I wasn't sure uh, by looking at, you know, fat maps, looking at Google, if I could navigate it. And sometimes you may think you can't navigate it um, until you're out there and then you look closely. But I spend a lot of time on the navigation component. But the other one is you may see goats. And we, a couple of years ago, we saw goats 350 yards away without looking closely. There's two gorges in between us and the goats. So shooting a goat, retrieving that goat was probably not going to happen. So, uh, you know, looking at the terrain, looking at the maps and, and making some smart decisions. So many times with goat hunting, it's, you're not pulling the trigger. Uh, so you got to be prepared for that and, and know that you put in a good effort, but a lot of times you're probably not wise to pull the trigger. Do you find when you're out there with a, sometimes with a new partner and they're, they start glassing a goat and you're, they're thinking, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Let's shoot it. And you got to slap them on the nose and say, don't even think about it. We're not getting that thing. Oh, yes. Not, not a lot. I mean, usually you're kind of guiding them and talking about that well in advance. Um, and a lot of times a new hunter, and I've taken quite a few Alberta, uh, some from Ontario, they're simply not used to the terrain. So it's very um, intimidating. So usually they're in the other way. They're usually more cautious, which is a good thing. So I'm like saying, oh, no, I think we can do it. Um, and I got to prepare for I've done a few retrievals on others' goats because I'm more afraid of that individual trying to retrieve it with me. Um, so I had to do some, you know, solo retrievals just because safety of my partner. So it's really good to know your partners. That's a huge component of it. Um, yeah, you don't want your partners to have no fear and you don't want, I mean, if you have a partner that's absolutely fearful of mountains, he probably shouldn't be there, but... <laughs> that's a huge component i've taken a lot of individuals and most have been good but i kind of i get to know them quite well in advance um you know i had i got some great partners out of alberta um before i took the one individual i he came by and he spent the, the weekend with me and we went for hikes um and he's a phenomenal partner uh just he had a stroke when he was 15 so he may be listening to this uh he's going on my sheep hunt uh, with me this year as well but I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't putting him in a situation that would be unwise um, because of some physical limitations. I have a physical limitation as well without a kneecap. But um, 
yeah, it's kind of getting to know an individual, knowing what their ethics are like, knowing what their drive and motivation is, and just knowing their physical abilities. And uh, yeah, my buddy is just, he was phenomenal last year on the, on the goat hunt um, in spite of some physical limitations. We, we got to roll that back there a little bit. You're still without a kneecap and out in the mountains all the time? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably, you know, the reason I, I probably train more than most because of that issue. Uh, and that's like my friend John out of Alberta. He is so focused and trained so hard because he has, um, you know, a physical limitation. So, uh, so it kind of helps drive us more to push and train um, because I, I don't have a lot of mass on one, one leg. It's, there's not much there. I pretty much push up with one leg or one, my good knee and my good leg. Uh, and then I have my hiking poles, but yeah, it's, it's a tough thing, but I've just keep at it and, uh, do, do all right with that. I'm not going to lie. That's, uh, you're, you're a crazy man. <laughs> going it, mount, mountain hunting for goats with missing any, like, man, that's, that's, that's just says how much you love it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I felt I was given another chance at life. Right. And I, and, and I, I say this all the time. And if someone was to ask me what my favorite hunt is, and maybe you would ask me that others do, my favorite hunt was probably my last hunt I did. And my next favorite hunt's going to be the one I'm going to do in two weeks. Um, and everyone is super special. They're no two are the same. They're all unique and they're different. Um, but probably since 91, I treat every trip like it's my last trip. So I go into that mentally knowing that, you know what, I may not have another trip in me. Something life, ha- life Things happen in life, right? Um, so yeah, I treat every trip like it's my last. And I think I make the most out of that trip because of it. So I train hard. I you know, do the, the preparation, looking at where I'm going, uh, doing my homework, making sure I'm making sure that if if something happens, I've got no regrets that I gave it my all. So, I mean, that's kind of what I'm looking for in partners too, right? I'm looking for that, that, that motivation and drive and that passion to be out there and just to love animals. Um, my partner this year, the one from Alberta, he's just coming with his camera. You know, just, that's what I love to see. He's, he's a hunter. He can't hunt cause he's from Alberta. He can't hunt for sheep, but he's just coming to be there, to experience it, to do the fly in, to take photos and just, for the camaraderie so that that's kind of cool well that uh that kind of terrain out there too and the stones country is something else that's uh you know if if you're not hunting and bringing a camera going in deep for stones on a fly-in that's it's, that's a trip of a lifetime right there it, it's it's a it's a dream come true and i know uh that's where i first met kyle he doesn't remember it but i think it was on his first sheep fly-in hunt and in 2011, we were actually at the float plane uh, dock at the same time going different directions. But it's just like a doing a float plane with a, the Haviland Beaver, northern British Columbia. It doesn't get much better than that. It, it really doesn't. No, it's a... Uh, Kyle's speechless. He's, you can see him processing. <laughs> wheels are spinning there. <laughs> no, I, I'm trying to think of the year because you said that before. But I remember my first fly-in. And I remember the guys um, well, may- maybe it that wasn't. were there. Was it 11? Well, uh, yeah. Or, I think or it was maybe a... that wasn't your first one. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember if that was. Uh, yeah, 
But, and then we can't reveal our secrets where we were going either, can we? So, we can't um, say the secrets, but I know what happened in yours is that you didn't end up going where you're wanting and it still worked out all right. I remember I was yeah. in, yeah, you just, you, we didn't, we didn't know each other. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty, sure. It's pretty cool though. Pretty cool. Yeah. Who you all meet and guys I've met sheep and goat hunting. You don't see, and I guess another thing about goat hunting, which is probably one of the reasons I love it as well. You actually where I go, you just don't see people. Sheep hunting, you're going to see people. It's going to be interesting. This year where I'm going, new area. I know it seems like there's more and more people getting into the backcountry. But generally for goats, I am not seeing people. I can count how many people I've seen on all those hunts, probably on one hand. It's that few. Um, so it's like you literally feel you've got the mountain to yourself, which is a pretty neat, pretty neat feeling too. Well, that's what a lot of us are striving for when they're back there, right? That that peacefulness sounds, being humbled. Sounds, sounds like you're ready for a goat hunt there, Craig. <laughs> oh, I'll be flying in again this year, yeah. Yeah. No, no yeah. goats where I'm headed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a sheep or two, you never know. Yeah. Or a ptarmigan, whatever. <laughs> Tar- you know what? I've never taken a ptarmigan. I've only had one. It was delicious, but oh, uh, I'm sure. I've oh, we've been tempted. We've been tempted. Trust me. Yeah. So, what's the <laughs> uh, the most important gear? What's your most important piece of gear you find if, if you're getting into goat hunting? Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with your boots? Do you want to start with your pack? Your clothes? Where do you start? Well, a little bit of history here. I'm going to probably go with. Uh, boots is pretty pretty darn important to tell you the truth. So you know what I started with? In mid-90s, I started with those Coflax. They're mountaineering boots that are plastic. I thought they were the best thing. I didn't know. I just thought, man, that's the kind of boot you want for goat hunting. So I did a couple seasons with them and realized they are not quite cracked up to what they're what what you want in a goat hunt. Simply too stiff. You can't get a feel for the rock. So I went with, I I probably won't get into all the brands here, but um, yeah, you want a fairly stiff boot, but yet you want to get a bit of a feel for the rock uh, that you're on. So um, I I got the Les Portivas now. They're they're probably the best boot I've tried, uh, the Evo Nepal's. Uh, So yeah, they're a good, they're a good, yeah, boots are critical. I've had guys without, the right support um and you're going to feel it uh you don't you're going to be doing so much steep so much side hilling that you want to be confident and the other thing is uh, i had one of my buddies a few years ago we were out goat hunting he kept slipping all the time and it's like why are you falling all the time he had a decent boot but his soles and then i said let me look at the bottom of your soles and they were like right rounded off so typically I've resold my boots every two to three years. So I have a still a decent edge. You want a good edge. Otherwise, I mean, you just can't really afford to slip. I mean, you slip in the wrong spot, you're, you're done. So uh, whether it be on grass or whether it be on hard scree slopes, a lot of the, the, the terrain we're in, there's just a lot of hard packed silt clay slopes that and there's a cliff below them so you really need to dig in uh, so boots are important pack again i started with uh i'll say a mech pack cheap 200 well 200 dollars in the, in the day it wasn't a cheap pack for me if you go back 30 so more than 30 years 
that pack didn't fit me. Uh, I didn't know how to pack a pack. I put all the weight at the bottom. Yeah, the pack was oversized for my for my torso. That thing would kill me. I mean, I just thought that's that's what packs are. I mean, you got a heavy pack. You're packing a goat out. We didn't debone. I didn't know about deboning. You know, <laughs> I didn't have experts and people that had hunted for years. I kind of started with guys same age. We said, oh, let's start goat hunting. So, you know, it killed me. Then when I got, it was years before I got a good pack. And my first pack was a Kafaru. And it was a game changer. It's like, wow, this is this is next level. Yeah, didn't didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. And if you don't try better gear, you just don't know it. But I don't think you need the best gear to start hunting. That's another thing that's important, right? Um, you don't need the most expensive. It's taken me years to, to build up uh, to the gear. So yeah, boots, pack, where else we want to go? Hiking poles. I, I still watch videos of individuals that are out goat hunting. I watched some recent and it's like they don't have hiking poles and they're slipping. Um, again, I didn't use hiking poles. I thought they were, you know, f- Europeans, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you'd say they were for sissies. That's kind of how we grew up. Like hiking poles, those are for like the weekend guys coming out of the city, you know, but once we, we'd only take one pole at a time, was just one pole. And then we got to the two poles and it was like, okay, this is a, this is huge. The impact it has, especially for me going downhill is a big pound on my knee and my bad knee. So it takes out a lot of the pounding on the knee and then it helps with your pro- propelling uh, as you head up the mountain. So, uh, so good poles. Uh, I've had cheap poles, they break on you and then it's pretty frustrating. So pretty good to invest in a, a decent set of poles as well. Um, Marvin, are you still wearing uh, the Kafaru or what are you wearing for a pack right now? Like what uh, system? I've upgraded, but it's, upgraded to another kafaru um okay do you run the gun bearer with it i do i don't always like i often have it strapped to the side you know the stocks in the in the in the holder but i often have it on the side of my pack so i don't have it like loose in front of me because when you're hiking up a mountain for goats you're you don't want that thing banging into you you want it on the side of your pack or the back of the pack. And in the country we're in, you can have it in the in the in the holder the proper way more when you're up in the alpine or you're you know more on the flats. But boy, when you're going up through the cliffs, you don't want that thing in front of you at all banging. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I just yeah. I know a lot of guys don't like running poles because then they don't have their firearm accessible. And that gun bear is pretty handy, but yeah, if you're in the cliffs doing a stalk, there's no grizzlies that you're not going to see there, right? So obviously going through the trees or something, that's where you're going to be concerned yeah. about that. So Yeah, I mean, it typically even in the, you, you could see a grizzly, there's the odd time. Usually they're going to be in the berry patches, which is lower, typically lower down or in the clear cuts, which are open, which... Yeah, they could be in there or in the alpine, but the timber is pretty open timber on the coast because it's there's just the, the underbrush just can't grow up there. It's such a heavy canopy. Do you find yourself setting up a main camp and then uh, spiking up top? I used to, so that's probably one of the biggest changes I've done in recent years, uh, whether it be sheep or goats. Uh, for numerous reasons. One is I'm aging and I'm, I'd rather hunt smarter than hunt harder. Um, so, uh, typically I would have a one main camp 
and then spike it out from there and sleep in a garbage bag. I'm a bit old school. I don't sleep in the bag anymore, but I used to. I just bring a garbage bag, <laughs> big oversized one. <laughs> <laughs> so now, and then I was bringing like a little tarp or a, a fly, a tent fly, a one person tent, but the fly only. And then we could sleep under that. Uh, but I've changed it up now and we're pretty much going with solo tents. Um, because numerous reasons we can take our gear with us pretty much all the time i may leave a portion of my food if i'm up for a 10-day goat hunt which is what i'm doing now usually 10 days i may leave a portion of my food at the front end of the range more uh, tucked away Uh, but typically i'm taking all my gear and that allows me to be way more flexible keep going deeper and deeper uh, so i can go three days back and i'm like all my gears with me and then we can set up like you say the footprints are so much smaller with a one person tent and uh, that's what i'm finding unless you're right in the alpine in the open but we're we're shooting goats wherever like it's steep and we can set up near where the goat goes down or where we see goats and we want to kind of just okay let's hunker here just before dark uh, so it just gives you much more flexibility and then i don't have to put up with a guy snoring beside me in the tent <laughs> you could just move down the mountain a little bit <laughs> it's yeah that's actually another another component of it too right is I'd, I'd really like to get a good sleep in and that that was that can cause a bit of an issue with, as we age so that's some of us snore a little bit more i'm not saying i'm snoring it's my partner mainly yeah because yeah. <laughs> you listen to yourself sleep <laughs> what do you run in for a tent now then what's that solo tent you run i just upgraded so my regular tent i had since 08 was the hillyberg uh, Katem three. And I use that for all my sheep and goat hunts pretty much. Uh, I changed it up now. I was running a solo MSR, but I could tell you what happened to it a couple of years ago. The wind destroyed it. I mean, I've repaired it. It's still usable. It's still in decent shape. So I've, I now got the, uh, I just bought it this year was the uh, one person, uh, Hilleberg solo or solo. Okay. Cool. Have you run it yet or is it brand new? This is the first time you'll have used it. It's brand new, but I've, I mean, I talked to, I talked to outfitters, right? I talked to Nolan and and different individuals about that tent and they say, yeah, that's, that's the tent to have. I kind of like it's freestanding. So that's another reason I want it for winter goat hunting where it's hard to get pegs in the ground. Um, So you can set it up anywhere. You could set up on rock. Uh, so you can anchor it, but you don't need to anchor it. And sometimes it's just so hard to find, you know, a side of a mountain tucked in under a, a tree where you're kicking out a spot to set up the tent. I mean, it's pretty darn hard a lot of times to actually use all the guy wires and, and anchor it. Um, so that's what typically all the other tents I've used are not freestanding. So I like the freestanding. You can sit up in it. It's pretty roomy. Um, it sort of has the features I like. So what's, yeah, I can't wait to hear about it. Sorry, Greg. No, I was just going to say, we'll elaborate on the, the sleep system now. If you, what are you, what are you dragging out with you now that you like to be comfortable? Oh, oh, you mean for like sleeping You're, bags? Just, yeah, sleeping bag, sleeping pad. What are you, what are you doing? Oh, I still use an old, well, you know, I, I started off with the little blue foam. You, I don't know if you, you can still buy those. Uh, yep. My kids use one when we go camping still. Yeah. You know what? I still use one, but I use another one as well. I, I bring a little foam with me 
and that's something in recent years, just simply for when you're glassing, right? So I want a bit of a foam uh, to sit on, especially more in the winter time. But I also put that foam under my normal, um, I got a Neo Air light, so it doesn't have much of an insulation factor. So with that little foam underneath it, so I got the Neo Air light, which I've had for years, and then I just put that the, the cheap foam underneath it. Uh, and then for bags, I've got numerous bags, uh, three down. And then I've got a synthetic, which I picked up in recent years, just because that late season coastal goat hunting with the uh, the down was just absorbing all the moisture. It's pretty much 100% humidity all the time if you're going to hunt October, November on the coast. So I went more with... Uh, uh, the synthetic on that, uh, which is is all right, uh, but I do like my down still. Love my down, so I'll take down on the sheep hunt here in two weeks. Just which one? I'm just debating on my older, really super light compact one. If you're going for 15 days, you that's a lot of gear and especially the food for volume. So I might go with my cheaper 20 some year old down bag. It doesn't have the insulation, but we'll see what the weather is. If it's going to be this warm out you really don't probably need a minus 18 bag. So yeah, that bag's probably minus seven, but it's probably less than that because it's old. I got another minus 10 and then I got a minus 18 down. One for every month. You kind of, you, you kind of, yeah, build, build up a little inventory in time. Perfect. Are you, what's in your first aid kit when you go out there? Do you carry a first aid kit? <laughs> I do. Oh, I've always carried a first aid kit. Uh, just, I mean, it's a pretty small kit. Yeah. To tell you the truth, um, you know, it, it just got your basic bandages. I haven't really had any major injuries out there, but obviously little cuts happen all the time. So, um, you know, the, the polysporin, if you've got a little cut for infections, because that's one of the big things always to worried about infections but i don't have anything like you know you i guess you got your major bandages if you you have an injury of some sort but yeah i carry a kit but it's 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 a fairly small compact kit um just minimal and enough to stop the bleed enough to stop the bleeds and some drugs to stop the pain (laughs) those carrying more and more drugs as you get older right That's actually true. Now I take, you know, a, I take an ibuprofen or something before bed after every day. I never used to do that. Um, just to help with the muscles and to relax them. Um, so I do that, yeah, nightly, but I only started that a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, we've uh, we've hammered the, the Q&A on the, uh, the gear on you here. A little surprise. Yeah. Um, what, uh, I don't know if, if if you're willing to talk about it or not, what what led to your your situation where you had to be airlifted out? Yeah, I wish it, I mean I wish it was a hunting story, but uh, it it wasn't. Uh, it was really just we, again um, just a bunch of buddies looking to go for a hike on a weekend, uh, May long weekend on the coast, and didn't have any sort of destination never looked at maps uh just we just drove towards prince rupert and i just said that looks like a good one it was actually in an area where there used to be a service station got wiped out in the 70s from an avalanche and that's where i chose to go um so (laughs) super gnarly but i mean that's kind of what interested me is stuff that is you know, no gear. I did a little bit of like rappelling and rock climbing, but I didn't bring any gear. I never owned gear. I just went with others. So 
I never really got into the rock climbing, but I got into the rock climbing on this particular day uh, <laughs> with jeans, t-shirt, tank top, runners, you know, not prepared at all. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty young, but w- what I consider young is early 20s. <laughs> um, uh, and there was a group of us, uh, probably eight, four turned back pretty soon. And then four of us were like troopers and just like, let's keep going. Uh, so it was a big rock face, went up. Uh, there was goats getting pretty close. Uh, I've got scared a few times because it's super steep and it's like you just freeze up. Uh, then eventually we said, okay, it's time to turn back. Oh, my lights went out here. When my lights go out, I'm in my work office. It's telling me I'm supposed to go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone on too long. No. no. Uh, so what happened is we were heading down the avalanche and it's springtime and then there was a rock fall behind us. So uh, I actually panicked again, another life lesson about uh, don't panic um, in different situations. So I panicked. I ran as quick as I could towards some cover on the edge of the avalanche chute. Uh, I'm on snow, by the way, this is an avalanche. So I'm on like an avalanche chute. So I'm on hard packed snow. I run towards the edge where there's some brush. I look back and I'm airborne into a crevice, but it's a Berkshrung. It's like a, it's where the snow has separated from the rock wall. Um, and that's kind of what I ended up 25 feet down. It kept going angled. Uh, I managed to land reasonably well on my feet, but I bashed my, uh, my knee and that's where I lost the kneecap. And then I stood for five hours on one leg, uh, getting hypothermia cause it was cold. Uh, you know, it's, wasn't freezing, but it's around freezing, but I'm just like, you're tucked in ice. You're basically in a freezer. <laughs> so, uh, my car was at the bottom of the mountain on the highway. So one of the buddies, uh, headed down, uh, tried to find search and rescue. The RCMP tried to find search and rescue. They were having their weekend barbecue out at the lake. So they were partaking in some beverages. So some of them weren't in any shape to, come and rescue me but they had enough individuals that they got together uh they geared up headed up the mountain uh, got to me and then called the chopper in just before dark Uh, so i got airlifted out there and then i got airlifted to prince george and the rest is history that's a life lesson i mean i never there's probably not a day that i don't think about it um you know and i think for the good um you know, when you're a young male, sometimes you think you're invincible. So I soon realized I'm not invincible. Uh, you learn not to take life for granted because when you're five hours stuck in a crevice, you're thinking about family. You're thinking about your family and you're thinking about how fortunate, you know, you are, I am to survive because I could have been paralyzed. There's a lot of worse things that could happen than, you know, losing, say, a kneecap. So, uh, yeah. and it actually, for it, it, drove my passion to be in the mountains even more which is kind of a neat thing right um it never waned for a couple few years i i you know i was limping a lot i was in no condition to go in the mountains i can't remember then when i actually got back into the mountains it would have been a few years uh and then i just didn't i, I never held back and i just kept going and yeah realized that i fortunate i can do this and i can actually hunt and mountain hunt which was a dream since i was a kid so yeah it's it's worked out quite well and i use that story to 
try to relay that to my son, which he's had a few dings and trips to the hospital. So I guess the apple didn't fall far from the tree, but uh, well, he's he's about the right age to be young and dumb still, right? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> he won't listen to this. He's too he's too fidgety. He's busy guiding off of this. He, the season he's going to be heading off pretty darn quick here. Yeah. So. Well, well, let's let's end this one on a high then, and so we, we just hit the low, so let's end on the high. At uh, in Kamloops, there you brought in uh, quite the mount, the stone sheep. There, you m- mind telling us about that hunt? Oh, that you know, that that was a special trip. That was if you want to. That was 2011. That was uh, that was that was kind of the climax of a sheep hunt for me. It was kind of what I always dreamed of. Um, I wrote an article in in uh, Eastman's on that one, uh, and I mean, I got a nice ram that worked out. It was just really the adventure. The uh, there's probably more to the story I'd love to tell one day, but I probably won't have the time here uh, just because if we're going to run out of time. But uh, there's more that kind of happened on that trip that I then I put in the article as well, which I'm very open to share. Um, but we got we had a triple header on Rams, um, which was phenomenal. Uh, but it had some of the highs and the lows. I mean, I will say that we took a Ram that wasn't legal as well. Uh, it was deemed legal three weeks later. So, you know, I went from a high of shooting a record book ram to a few minutes later, we took a ram that wasn't wasn't legal. It was actually deemed legal later, like I mentioned, but we didn't know that. So, uh, but just 140 kilometers, so 90 some miles of hiking, um, you know, into an area that I looked at for years and never thought I'd go there. And then we ended up like, I got to, when I turned 40, I said, it's time to start doing some of these trips that I dreamed of, you know, the fly-ins, going deep and really making an adventure of it. So yeah, that Ram was a nice, nice, beautiful representation. Uh, and I think it was a nine-year-old, uh, 40 inch even, well, just 39 and six eights. So he's not officially 40, but I'm going to, he was pretty close. And he had some good beef on his uh, the bases as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that happened on that trip, which I mentioned the one. Um, but just, you know, the highs and lows of trips in the mountains are, it's phenomenal. Um, but, you know, you just, you learn so much. Every trip you learn lessons. I'm still learning. And if I stop learning, I'm going to probably stop hunting. Um, but I'm learning on every trip about the animals, about the terrain, about myself as an individual. Um, you know, that's where you really, you strip away the internet and all the, the noise in life. You really get to know who you are and you get to know who your partners are and, and kind of the, the finer things of <laughs> and what you're able to do. <laughs> what you're able to put yourself through is, is pretty special. Yeah, you, you find out in a hurry sometimes out there what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. <laughs> yep, it's what you're not able to do that's important to, to learn, <laughs> which I've had to learn a few hard things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So so one last uh, question from me anyways. If, if people want to learn about goats, Where's a good place to go for a little education on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's books, The Beast, uh, The Color of Winter. That's there's always books to read up on. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about resources. I mean, the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. Uh, you can go on our website. Uh, we're going to be putting more information on there uh, all the time. But we have the video that kind of gives you some basics, even on on uh, you know sex identification. We're working on some new course material uh, that we'd like to get out there for basically uh, different jurisdictions and governments to use. So we would like to. We're working on that at this point. Um, you know, uh, talking to the individuals is important too, right? So, I mean, people that are passionate about goat hunting. Um, so, I I always find it's, I gather my information from all sources uh, to kind of gather knowledge. Um, you know, bios, biologists are good. I've over the years connected with a uh, regional biologist when I lived up in uh, the north, Um you know, they can provide some good information. They're not going to give you X's on the map, but, you know, they're going to know about goat behavior and what sort of things to look for. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's a lot of – in British Columbia, we've got so much opportunities, and there's so many people that do hunt goats. Um, there's others that I know, friends that I know, that no one knows their name, but they hunt as much as I do for goats. Um, they're just – no one would know it. Um yeah, we kind of find each other, even though we weren't friends. You, you kind of find, I find wherever you go, you find sheep and goat hunters. You just kind of, it's like a magnet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a weird, weird magnet. I, I know exactly what you mean. You, you just kind of find each other in a crowd. My wife's like, I don't know how you do it. You just, you just find these individuals that are similar. <laughs> similar in a good way, though. I'd say yeah. it's, in a, it's all in a good way. So, uh, yeah, there's more resources. Um Others have uh, goat identification. I mean, we have it on our site. Uh, Alaska has a good, a good one on their site. Actually, we just helped out uh, Idaho with a course um, for for their state. We actually had to put that together really quick because they got some funding and they wanted it out for this season. So, uh, no state Idaho has has uh, info on their site as well. Um, yeah. So, and the best thing is, join the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. Uh, get, get involved there. We've, we're getting more uh, projects going. We've got quite a few counts going on in the States right now uh, this summer. I know we did the Squamish count. Uh, we had a, f- a few uh, opportunities there in the spring. Uh, come to the sheep show, connect with individuals there. Uh, that's always a good time. So come to, hopefully it's in Kamloops again next year. I think it is. Oh, uh, no. no. It's not? We're moving. Oh, I shouldn't have said this. Yeah, we were, we're running away from you. <laughs> you should. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay, co- well, still, wherever it is, it's always good. <laughs> it's always a good time, and that's the key is, is is just making connections. I mean, I met so many new people every year I go, um, you know, and just helping people out. I mean, there's lots of individuals like myself who want to mentor and help. Uh, you know, I'm always good to I'm always good to receive a text. And typically, I'll answer it, especially if it's to do with goats and sheep. <laughs> Anything else? Don't bother. <laughs> Anything work-related? We just don't know. Don't 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 send it. <laughs> yeah, you got nine to five. That's your. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a lot of like there's a lot of resources out there on goats, um, and you know nowadays with the internet, you Google it. You know, I've been reading all sorts of studies that uh, you know 
obviously I'm involved with the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, so I'm pretty keen to to look up some of these studies and the impacts on climate change. And, you know, Northern Wild Sheep and Goat Council put out some good papers in recent years about, you know, impacts of, you know, helicopters and different types of uses, industrial and what it does to uh, to goats in particular. So, I mean, there's a lot of reading material out there. Um, you know what I, st- I mean, I started off, I just read magazines because I didn't have the internet. So I'm all just about reading, reading old journals. Uh, you know, outdoor life was something that influenced me since I was pretty young. So picking up those uh, different articles and reading, that was always big for me. But nowadays, I guess there's other options, right? Easy to connect with people. That's the biggest thing is making connections. So one thing for the mission um, what can people do? How can they support? So obviously buy a membership, buy a life membership, um, donations, what kind of stuff, how can they help move the needle for goats um, wh- wherever they are? Oh, yeah. I mean, if we're looking for, and we've got some great staff uh, with the Goat Alliance too, uh, that, you know, if there's donations offered, uh, we take that for our auction and different other fundraising events. Um, so yeah, if, you know, people are willing to donate uh, products, knives, whatever it is. We will uh, we will utilize that uh, for donations. Uh, again, I mentioned the counts. So, uh, you know, citizen science getting involved with goat counts is good. Um, educational components. Uh, you know, that's that's a big thing. Is just getting involved. I'd like to have more like pub nights and stuff like that too. Right where we can have them into different different cities and just say here i'm hoping hoping to have the world record uh you know replica coming to us in the next year right using that for uh just generating interest generating uh, discussions with goats and having more people involved i mean in british columbia there's so many individuals that are keen on goats because we've got and we've got a lot of goats we've got lots of opportunities uh, to see goats to hunt goats and to help out in that component as well so uh yeah we're growing we've got uh, quite a few regional reps in the goat alliance in british columbia as well so uh, that's that's always uh that's been a plus right we've got uh, definitely a good uh, good following and a good representation in in uh, bc for goats i've got a quick question for you about um General open season. So BC is general open season for a lot of British Columbia. There's areas that are obviously on an LEH or draw system. Uh, are there other jurisdictions that are open? I think Alaska obviously is, but any in the, anywhere in the lower 48, are they a lot of places? No, not nothing in the lower 48. So okay, that, I mean, that's when I went to Reno and they're hearing that we can hunt over the counter for sheep and goats. They're like, you got to be kidding. Um, which <laughs> that just doesn't happen in these other jurisdictions other than Alaska. You're right for, for, for sheep and goats, but, uh, we're fortunate. The Kootenays of course is mainly LEH, but there's some open opportunities there as well. And then if you go into, uh, the North into region six and seven, there's nothing but opportunities. Yeah. So for you BCers listening, and I know we got lots of BCers on the podcast, there's two things to take away. Make sure you do your part to look after the resource. So, you know, Mar- Marvin talked about it, about don't shoot nannies, shoot old billies. So obviously that goes without saying. And then let's sh- support the Alliance. They're looking after the conservation 
aspect of the resource. They're looking after goats. So if you're not a member, if you're in the mountains and you care about goats, join the Alliance. It's absolutely critical that you do that. And, um, you know, let's support that resource and look after the organization that's looking after these uh, amazing animals. So thank you, Marvin, for all you guys do. You got an amazing team there. It's inspiring. I love what you're doing. I love what Darren's doing and a bunch of, I don't know, all the thing, great things that are being done over there, but it's a, it's really good. And I'm really proud to be a life member with you guys. Yeah. Well, I, I just appreciate uh, being on here and I, we really value the partnerships that we do have uh, with with uh, Wild Sheep Society uh, you know, and others as well. That's key is building relationships. We all have very similar mindsets and we're all keen on conservation. Um, so yeah, we all get a Along pretty well which is important oh your lights are kicking you out again <laughs> I think that's a good note to end on <laughs> lights off marvin's out yeah <laughs> appreciate you man thanks for coming okay. on the show and look forward to, we'll do it again let's do this this is fun um yeah let's do it at sheep week and we'll grab some whiskeys and and do it um with the whiskey in hand it'll be fun yeah we'll do that and we'll uh, i'm sure we'll see you Hopefully next year at the Sheep Week as well, if not before that. There's been lots of opportunities we've seen each other this year, it's just, which is great. Absolutely. Okay. Take care, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you bet. You. Okay. Bye-bye.